Welcome to InsideCatholicPhilly.com, where we explore the Catholic faith as it's experienced in church and in everyday life. I'm your host, Gina Christian, here with our editor, Matt Gambino. And along with our guests, we discuss the Catholic take on everything from sacraments and Sunday Mass to social media and sports, based on CatholicPhilly.com's award-winning news and commentary. Thanks so much for spending a few moments with us here at CatholicPhilly.com. I'm your host, Gina Christian. Our editor, Matt Gambino, is on assignment, but he joins us in spirit. Well, the end of one year and the beginning of the next is, of course, a very musical time, filled with everything from Christmas carols to the latest hits. Right now, there are a lot of hardworking musicians who are taking a well-deserved break after their intense holiday performance schedules. I recently caught up with one of these folks, composer Tony Manfredonia. Tony was born and raised right here in the Archdiocese of Philadelphia, but he and his wife now make their home in northern Michigan, where Tony serves as the music director of his parish. He composes both sacred and secular works, including a number of pieces for video games, the soundtrack for which have become increasingly popular. I asked Tony to share with us how his faith inspires his art, whether he's writing for Mass or for a zombie apocalypse. What inspires you to compose? You know, I really think it's it's simply a gift from God that I can't really avoid. You know, I think I've, I've been asked this question before, and there's not really anything that necessarily inspires me, but rather ideas are always kind of there. You know, so when I'm walking about or when I'm at the store, wherever I am, there's always some musical idea that's in my head. It's just a matter of, do I put those ideas on paper or not? God has kind of blessed me with the ability, I guess, to write when I need to write. So like, rarely do I get into writer's block, you know, knock on wood, but I just seem there's always something there. And it's a matter of, do I put it down or do I just kind of save it for later, you know? It's really the way that you hear the world. Kind of, pretty much. To answer what exactly inspires me, I think it's always just what is around me. You know, I, I don't think I can really avoid the world around me inspiring me in some fashion, you know? It's a matter of just what's going on in my life, and there's probably going to be an element of that incorporated into whatever I'm writing, you know, to whatever I'm writing. So it's really being present to the moment. That's where you have to be for your inspiration. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's a matter of sitting down and actually just writing. I think there's a lot of just being present, showing up, and just kind of doing it. And it becomes a habit. You know, it becomes habitual. Don't get me wrong. There are days where I just want to sleep. And there are some days where I I acknowledge, you know, I'm not in the right headspace. I should do something else, you know, or do business end of things. But mostly, most importantly, it's just I show up, sit down, and just kind of get to work. And that leads right into my next question. How exactly do you approach your work, whether it's sacred or secular composing? I'm sure that you have some sort of a workflow that carries into both. And I recall from our previous conversation that you often invoke St. Joseph before you sit down to write. Is that still true? It is very true. It is very true. Just given in the music world, a lot of times we're pressed for time as composers. You're juggling a lot of deadlines all at once. So 
I always say that prayer is kind of a must. Deadlines are deadlines. They need to be met. There's not really much time for dawdling. So I always kind of ask the Holy Spirit to kind of guide my creativity every single day. So like, you know, let whatever be written be the will of God, essentially. You know, Holy Spirit, guide my creativity. Even if that means the client doesn't like whatever I wrote at first, I always trust that that's what sort of God intended for me to learn from that. Whether that's, okay, I get the bad ideas out of the way, and that leaves room for the better ideas based upon the client's feedback. But yeah, I always approach my day with a prayer. A simple Holy Spirit, guide my work, St. Joseph, pray for me, St. Anthony, pray for me, that the work that I do is meant to be the work that's meant to be done, essentially. Does that kind of make sense? Absolutely. That takes a lot of humility, a lot of humility there. Thank you. I, I guess so. I don't know. I just kind of, it seems to work. It's provided me the most amount of peace to know, even if this first pass, or even if this first sample, or this first 30 seconds, or 15 seconds at the end of the piece, or whatever it is that someone may or may not like, you know, just for that to be what it is. And it can be hard. It can be hard. You know, I think kind of as a perfectionist, it's hard to do away with this has to be 100% perfect. I think I try to stand by the philosophy of it is what it is. And if they like it, then I move on. You know, I move forward. I'm not perfect. Nothing I create will ever be perfect. It just has to be, in a sense, good enough, you know, for the sake of my own career and as as well as for my wife, you know, is, is it paying the bills and so forth. And speaking of that kind of tension between musical perfection and an awareness of that it is what it is sometimes, moving into the realm of liturgical music, because you compose in this field, what is your take on current liturgical music from where you're sitting in the pew, you know, or at the organ bench? Where do you think we're at with it right now? Yeah, you know, I think it really comes down to, in our current culture and in our current society, in our current day and age, I really think that the strongest liturgical music, especially touching the hearts of people my age and my generation, is something that invokes or or provokes reverence and awe. You know, I think we have to kind of return to that. As you know, music kind of changed in the 70s, 80s, and and so forth. But, you know, I recently went to the Shrine in Washington, D.C. I was out there for an orchestra performance in November, and it was one of those moments never been to the shrine prior and I walked in the National Shrine and it was just brought to tears you know the organists were practicing it was like stepping into heaven it's the sense of this is where heaven meets earth this is reverence this is awe this is just fear of God basically and I think music now ought to reflect that you know it's that evocative wonder and awe of God and I think liturgical music now really ought to return to that as much as we can And some of that recovery comes through things like having chant at mass, at least in whole or in part, you know. I've heard people really reflect on chant and say, as you said, it draws me closer to heaven. There's a sense of that reverence, that gravitas, you know, that sense that it's not just about having a a singable melody, but that it takes us someplace. Right. Oh, absolutely. You know, as a music director for a Catholic church, and, you know, my mom's been doing it for years, there's always the tension between, okay, do I choose a hymn that everyone can sing, or do I choose something that maybe some can sing, but for those who can't sing it, you know, they're sort of transcendent. 
right? There's always this push and pull of, well, you know, you want things that are singable, but you also want things that if they just sit and listen, you know, maybe after communion when they're praying, something that just brings them and draws them even further in to the moment. It's a tough thing. You know, I think it's especially like with a choir and some parishioners are very picky about, oh, I couldn't sing that it was too high or it was too low. There's always, you know, I'm never going to be able to please everybody. But I think I, I always have to try to, if nothing else, bring them closer to God in their own way, you know, in the best way that I can choose the music. Well, and another aspect of your work, in addition to drawing people closer to God, is that it draws them closer to each other. And you mentioned that you build community in your work with local organizations. Can you talk a little bit more about how that works out? Yeah, well, I think, you know, number one, we're all kind of called to evangelize. So part of me wishes I was working on more sacred projects at this very moment. Working in the secular world can be difficult with conflict of interest, but, you know, we're all called to evangelize. So I think it's a great chance to kind of see worlds collide. So for example, recently there was a big collaboration here between the Traverse City Symphony Orchestra, the Accidentals, who are a three-piece band from Traverse City and myself. They're just a, a little folk band who are doing big things and then the orchestra is an orchestra of course and so I had the opportunity to kind of bridge that gap. I was hired to orchestrate the band's music for the orchestra. So basically take their guitar, bass, drums, their tunes and then make them, you know, for horns, strings, flutes, the whole orchestral thing. But what was neat to see how much it connected every single side of the picture, right? So again, we're all kind of called to evangelize. So I always see that as an opportunity to, you know, no matter what's going on, no matter how rehearsals go, to put a smile on, to to really be excited and grateful and, and respectful for everybody there. And then you have, of course, people who are fans of folk band and people who are fans of orchestra and a big, just kind of a big mass of Northern Michigan collaboration. I think it just kind of helps connect one area of the region to the other when there's a big mix of genre or just even working with high schools. You know, again, I, I always try and treat working in the secular world as this is a chance to kind of be a light for people who are lost in darkness, you know? Music has the power to kind of enable that. Music has the power to kind of push that even a little bit further than just words or just poetry. You know, instrumental music, string music, choir music, all of the above. I would try and strive to do everything as, as joyfully as I can, even if things are not going well, to be joyful in it and just kind of bring them closer to God. And even if I don't even mention the word God, you know, I always try and make that part of my mission. And that beauty and that joy, as you said, it can reach places that ordinarily might not be open to scripture verses or discussions about the sacraments, that you're going some places that other folks can't necessarily get to. And one of those places, which is absolutely fascinating to me because I really know nothing about it, is the world of gaming. And you do a lot of compositions for video games. Can you talk about, you know, what role does music play in the gaming experience? And then which aspects of your musical skills are you really using in these compositions? Right. Yeah, great question. That is an amazing question. So music for games, I mean, it really kind of enhances the experience, you know, in one of two ways. Sometimes the music may reflect what's going on in the game, like specific actions, or more commonly, it's sort of just a backdrop, kind of so it's not silence, right? So it's not just sound effects and visual, but rather music that reflects an atmosphere, you know, things of like, let's say you're in a forest or let's say you're on a snowy mountain, you know, so for the music to kind of reflect the visuals in that way. And so aspects of my musical skills that I particularly draw on, I work best with melodic stuff, right? So things that have a distinct melody, that's really my strong suit. And it's really game music has become a whole industry 
in itself. I mean, there's concerts dedicated to it. You know, when I was out in November, like I mentioned before, with the orchestra, that was just basically an orchestra concert dedicated to game music. So one of my soundtracks was being played. And so it really connects a huge amount of people, both young and old. I mean, people between the ages of 10 and 50. You know, like game music is this big booming industry. So I really like to make things melodic, memorable, as if, you know, singable almost. Because there's a certain, like, people think of the Super Mario Brothers tune or the Legend of Zelda tune. They can almost, most people, especially Super Mario Brothers, would be able to hum it almost instantaneously. It connects a lot of people. And kind of like what I was saying about community building, you know, one of my missions in working with game music is there's also, I guess, kind of a darker side to the industry. You know, there's a lot of negativity surrounding gaming, especially in youth, and it doesn't necessarily need to be that way. So I'm trying, you know, part of my mission kind of as my career grows is to really get out there to really just honestly focus on the music, right? So let's, let's do away with, like, the pros and cons of the games themselves, but let's just focus on the music. You know, what can the music do for these young people? What can the music do for these for these people who play these games, right? So I think it's a matter of, like I mentioned before, sort of the mission of being a light in the darkness to kind of let the music touch the people and then wonder, okay, who made this music? Who Who is this person? And then for me, you know, I'm, I'm always trying to put myself out there sort of on a public, as a public front, because I think it's important for composers to kind of be out there in the world, not just kind of hiding behind the sidelines, but to be able to present themselves as well. And so I know I like to go out there and kind of talk about it with, with college students or high school students, kind of know that it is it is a career choice, it is a possibility, and that it's a good way to connect people. Music and games is a great way to connect people together. You know, as you said, there's maybe a part of you that wishes you were just completely immersed in the world of sacred music, but God is working through your life, it seems, in a way that you don't expect, but that is actually getting even more of his will done and reaching a greater number of people in ways that have surprised even you, it sounds. You know, it's a little bit terrifying, I will admit. I've had a couple commercial soundtracks, very, very small, very, very small, but my first big one is is coming out later this year. It's Karen's Crypt. The little clip from Karen's Crypt is actually an arrangement of Bach's Agnus Dei from his Mass in B minor. There's two Bach transcriptions in that game that I kind of made it sound like it's a retro video game, you know? It was a little nod to, like, my love for sacred music. It's like a little, his, his Mass in B minor, the Agnus Dei. But that's, like, the first big one that's coming out later this year, and I'm a little terrified. Not only for the just, you know, the reception, like, what are people going to think? There's bound to be someone who doesn't like the music. You know, that's just how it goes. You know, there's going to be probably a number of people who discover me after that, who wrote the music. Okay, what is this person like? And so, you know, knowing the importance of God's mission of just, you know, trying to do God's will, it's like, okay, I don't want to mess this up, you know, so like, yeah, I am always, I'm always praying, like, Lord, when this comes out, let me be at a place, let my presence in the world, on the internet, on social media, let it be at a place that can positively impact others, you know, I do my best to try and not get into arguments, you know, social media is a terrible, terrible place sometimes with just arguments and opinions and people bashing each other and bullying. And so I do my best to try and remain, in a sense, neutral as much as I can be with also little hints of, you know, objective truth, right? We all know there's objective truth. And so I pray there is that terror of if people discover the fact that I believe some things that I believe without actually saying them outright, will that impact my career, right? Will that destroy my career? So there is a little bit of fear. I just have to trust in God that this is where he wants me at this stage. And it's hard. It's definitely hard as more 
big things are happening and more soundtracks are being released, more projects unfolding. It's a little bit terrifying. I can't deny that. But it sounds like you really have the faith and the courage and the humility and above all the love for God to walk that journey wherever it leads. Right. I mean, and I appreciate that. You know, I think there are days where I don't believe it in myself, but I do my best. I do my best. And like you said, it is a matter of wherever God leads me, that's where it has to be. You know, even if a large portion of the world doesn't like what I'm doing or doesn't like what I'm saying, you know, it's honestly, this world is temporary, right? So if I'm doing my best to fulfill his mission, if people don't like that, then that's on them. That's not on me. And that's just how I kind of have to look at it. And my wife is a good rock in this. She really encourages me to not be afraid. So I'm, I'm very grateful to my wife for, in a sense, being the rock of truth, being the rock of, you know, our, our mutual Catholic faith and, and not allowing me to kind of falter in that. So she's, she's hugely beneficial in that. <laughs> Fantastic. Tony Manfredonia, thank you so much for spending time with us and sharing your music and your faith with our listeners. We so appreciate it. I hope you will come back soon. Well, thank you for having me. Absolutely. I would love to. God bless. Take care. So you've heard our thoughts. What about yours? Reach out to us and let us know. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at Catholic Philly or visit us online at catholicphilly.com. Thanks so much to Matt Gambino, the editor of catholicphilly.com. I'm your host, Gina Christian. And until next time, may God bless and keep you. Transforming lives. That's what the Society of St. Vincent de Paul of Philadelphia is all about. Called to service by our Catholic values, we work directly with our neighbors in need to help with the most basic necessities. Our lives are transformed, as are hopefully those we serve. Visit svdp-phila.info to see how you can join with us to help. That's svdp-phila.info. This podcast has been a production of CatholicPhilly.com. Music by Dustin Taylor Phillips. For more information, visit us online at CatholicPhilly.com.